this morning. Here's what we're going to talk about. First question. Do you like fishing? Do you like fishing? You may, you may not. I don't know. When was the last time you went? Maybe it's got a while. I don't know. Do you like fishing? Question number two. Do you like paying taxes? <laughs> Nobody say yes to that. Something wrong with you. Nobody likes paying taxes, right? Especially if you're getting taken advantage of because usually that's what happens to most of us. I don't think any of us are good. Me and I love our tax system. It's so fair. I love it. <laughs> I'm not taking a lot of And then bonus question. How, quote, unquote, free is a Christian? Can Christians drink? Can they get tattoos? Can they go to clubs? Can they go to law? And so part of that is going to be, you know, what's in our message today. What's good? Because you can't avoid your own questions like that. You've got to talk about that stuff. We've got to see where God gets in there. Where's Jesus going to be? A lot of people say a lot of things. doesn't necessarily mean it's biblical. So we're going to take a look at that. Um, so in your bulletin it says that we're going to be Matthew 17, verses 24 through 27. There's some letters there on the left-hand side. Three letters. L. L and then U, so obviously we're going to fill those in. Right? So it's the first letter that's up on the And we've got some questions that we're going to answer and some applications. So we have Matthew 17. So in the Blue Bible, what page is the Blue Bible? 695. 695? Mm-hmm. And in the White Bible, it's like 20. So before I read that, there's uh, something interesting that happened this week. Uh, you may have made or may not know. Uh, May 2nd was the uh, National Day of Prayer. It's a National Day of Prayer. So believe it or not, in the United States are actually the day that's um, designated by the federal government that's declared a day of prayer. And um, this particular, and not every president invokes it. So some presidents have, some have not. Um, Thankfully, at least we have one, you know, uh, this time, if you know, another president does it, I think it's kind of silly to, uh, you know, run your campaign and most presidents say that they're religious in some way, and, you know, they never uh, use the National Day of Prayer. It's like, you know, what's that about? So, the uh, pastor uh, that they asked to head up this National Day of Prayer is Pastor Greg Ward. So, Pastor Greg Ward has been around for a long time, he's in California. He's a pastor of this church called Harvest Christian Fellowship. And so he comes out of, um, you know, our name is Calvary Chapel, and, um, you know, non-denominational church. It's committed to teaching through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and whatever you get everything. And uh, Greg Moore was kind of in the beginning stages of Calvary Chapel for him. So their church name isn't Calvary Chapel, it's Harvest Christian Fellowship, but it's the same philosophy, really the same idea. And, um, he caught a lot of heat and a lot of flack um, for being chosen. In fact, um, a particular group really wanted to get him removed because of some of the things that he believes and says, you know, in the Bible when he's coming to him. Um, honestly, you know, I would personally say that I agree with probably 99.9% of what he says. I'm still trying to find something I don't agree with. So that's the only reason I'm not saying 100%. Um, but I think as far as the Bible goes, he's right on the money. I actually can't even believe they asked him to do it. I'm kind of surprised. So he, um, 
I also uh, like follow him, you know, on Twitter and stuff, and, and you know, read some of the things that he puts out in the blog and stuff. And, you know, stay, kind of stay tuned. And uh, this group is trying to get get him removed. Thankfully, he did it. Came under pressure. He stayed committed to it. Because in the inauguration, if you remember, um, they picked a pastor sort of for the benediction of the country in the inauguration. And they had to pick an evangelical pastor and man, that's that really gave you that. And uh, he got some pressure from a group and he actually was declining. So just don't want to. So we're going to stay to it. And I wanted to give you a couple of excerpts about what he said. I think that you should know, in case you don't know, maybe you know. But in case you don't know, I think you should know like, some things that he said. Um, it's interesting, and, and I think it's beneficial, because at the end of the day, like, you know, whether whoever is in office, and whether we like them or we do not, I'm not sure maybe in a political stance of any kind, I'm saying biblically that like, we have to pray for our country. Bible tells us, yes, we got to do that. And so we should maybe also know like, what's being said, you know, who's saying these things. So uh, let me just give you a couple of experts about excerpts about what Greg Glory said. Um, which uh, I was pretty proud of, actually. Um, so a couple things he says, and it's a pretty long thing, so I'm just going to be trying to get a couple highlights. So some things just seem impossible, but with God, nothing is impossible. He can even turn around the United States of America. And before you get to prayer, like, he gave this sort of like speech or message or sermon, I guess, a little bit, and then prayer. So he said that. Um, he kind of gave like, his personal testimony a little bit about where he's coming from and how he got to where he's at. He said he heard the message of the gospel on uh, his high school campus. Some teens uh, brought him the message of Jesus Christ and what it actually meant to be a Christian and a follower of Jesus, not what he's heard, but what it actually means. And they kind of reason with him through the Bible, and that's when he committed his life to Christ. Um, he said that we need to turn to God in prayer and turn back to his word. And it said Peter Marshall, he pointed this guy Peter Marshall, who was a chaplain to the U.S. Senate at one point, said the choice before us is plain. Christ or chaos, conviction or compromise, discipline or dis- disintegration. And then what he did is he talked about our country. And he said, listen, over the course of our country, you know, this time that we've been around, there's been these periods where there's been like this... Um, huge sort of like eye-opening experience about who God is and what He's expecting and what's in the Bible and what it says and how that applies to our lives. And there's been these times uh, in our country throughout history where masses of people have been like, oh, God, we need you. This is what it says. So it's amazing when one person does that, how it transforms them like a family and those around them, you know, maybe those around them you know, hate them, you know, they can't stand them, but oh my gosh, turn into a three and all this stuff. But when you have masses of people doing that, that can cast an impact and influence. And it really happened like three times. And those three times, um, they, they call them the great awakening. Like, this is what God is saying. This is what's going on. So he talked about those three great awakenings a little bit, and he said, man, you know, I think that we should have one last great awakening, and I think we should pray for that. As a church, as a country, we should pray for that. So he talked a little bit about that stuff. Um, and then let me just give you some highlights of his message. He says, prayer that changes things is the one that is offered to God. And so he says, of course, is an prayer offered to God? Not necessarily. Often in prayer, there is very little thought of God. 
Our mind is taken up with the thought of what we need instead of what our Heavenly Father has for us. And that the key to it is getting our will in alignment with God. This guy's saying this on TV in front of the nation talking about this. This is happening right now. He's really saying this. This is big time. Not many people get up and like actually say difficult things. Because this is not like, you know, a popular, if we were to go down the street maybe in the town and take polls about prayer. And I don't think a lot of people are saying, man, it's just to get aligned with what God has. It's like, you know, to give me the stuff that needs to help me keep it happening. Not really. And so. And then he emphasized um, how we should be praying together. Um, and about how uh, us as a, and he specifically said as Christian believers, we need to get together and pray about these issues. Again, we have a special point on that. And then he addressed the issue of doubts, how sometimes people would have doubts when they pray. And we talked about the early church, how they had some doubts, but they still continued to pray and God still continued to work. And this was a big one, I couldn't believe. He said at the end, he gave like a, like a salvation invitation at the end. He gave people an opportunity to like commit themselves to Christ. I believe this is like happening. Wow. Satan you does a really good job of shutting these people up and at least getting them scared or at least watering them down. So at the end, he closed up by saying, You see, prayer is a privilege given to the child of God. If your prayers are not answered, it could be because you don't know him. Isaiah 59.1 says, Listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor is his ear too deaf to hear you call. It's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. Big times. And really, it's true. Like, anybody could pray. And technically, God is God. He could still hear. But he could still hear what's going on. It's God. He's But his hands are tied. It's like, you know, when I teach and my kids come up to me and ask for college recommendations, I read a lot of It's actually silly that. It's humorous to me that I'm writing college recommendations. If they only knew. Or if they only knew. Right. I mean, I barely survived and made it. You know, my signature, you know, I need my signature. So it's funny. Uh, and it's, uh, it's humiliating, you know, too, like, like in a positive way. You know, it's humbling. Um, but sometimes, Kids come up and they have a, a four average, and they, they never did any homework. <laughs> Total slackers. Mr. Murphy, Mr. Murphy, you know, can you could you write me this, you know, recommendation? And at first, I'm not sure, like, you're kidding or not. So I'm like looking at them, like, is there a punchline coming in? Or, <laughs> and then I could see in their eyes like they're serious. So I'm like, well, you understand? I gotta tell them the truth, right? <laughs> and they're uh, like, whoa, like, we need the truth. I said, well, I'm, I said, come on. Like, you've been in class. You know how you've been. Um, I got to tell them that, like, you do your work half the time. You know, you're probably going to put things off and always ask for extra credit. Because you didn't do it again when I played. I'm going to write that down. And, uh, and then they the smile, big smile, on the face. They're like, I don't know. I was just trying to see if I could get one out of it. But, like, I, I want to help them. And I want to vouch for them, and, and I want to support them to be in their corner, but my hands are tied. So it's like God hears those prayers. He's listening like, to what they're saying, but his hands are tied because they're not really a child of his. They just want what they want, 
but they don't want to like fall underneath who he is and what he's saying. So it's like his hands are tied. And then here's the prayer. I'm not sure you prayer. I'm going to start with the message. And the message isn't super long, so. So here's what Gregory uh, eventually prayed. Here it was his prayer. He said, Father, we come to you to pray for our nation, the United States of America. How you have blessed us through the years, Lord, we rightly sing, America, America, God shed his grace on you. Yet we see trouble in our culture today. We see the breakdown of the family, crippling addictions, and random acts of horrific violence. Lord, we need your help in America. In recent days, we have done our best to remove your word and counsel from our courtrooms, classrooms, Culture. It seems as President Clinton Lincoln once said that we have forgotten God. The Lord, you have not forgotten us. You can bless and help and revive our country again. Scripture tells us that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is reproaching the people. Lord, in your mercy, we ask that you would exalt our country again. We have had a number of great awakenings in America. We have experienced times of depression, revivals that have changed not only the spiritual but the moral landscape. As the psalmist has said, we now revive us again so that people may rejoice in you. That is our prayer for America today, Lord. Send a mighty spiritual awakening that will turn the hearts of men and women, boys and girls back to you. You have told us that we will humble ourselves and pray and seek your face and turn from our wicked ways. We forgive our sins and go Forgive us today, Lord, and heal this troubled man and love you so much. We ask of all this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So we know that prayer went out. It's done for uh, May 2nd this week. It's encouraging to know. And it's encouraging to know that thousands <coughs> of other Christians were also gathered praying along with them. So I think that you should know. So that's why I wanted to bring that up. Just, you know, say, so Lord, what's going on? And you know, the battle is definitely not there. And we really know from the Bible that this battle, not necessarily a question of blood, it's the powers and the powers that we have to deal with. That's really where the battle is. That's what's going on. So, now you might feel the praying for our nation later this week, praying for the leaders. Hopefully that you, hopefully you do. All right, Matthew 17, let's take a look. And let me open up a prayer before we uh, read our passage this morning. God, I just ask you, Lord, that you would uh, speak through me, that you would bless your message. Lord, help us to uh, have a perspective um, like we should. Lord, it's so difficult sometimes, like, you know, all the things we come in contact with, Difficulties, discouragements, disappointments. It's very, very easy to lose perspective of who you are and what you said. It's very, very easy for too much doubt to creep in. So, Lord, I just pray this morning that at least us during this time right now, hearing your word, that we would get refreshed, we'd gain a better perspective, we better understanding. And we'd be filled uh, with a sense of hope and with a sense of victory. And we just ask that you just bless those kids downstairs and bless that message. Bless Linda. And guide her words and give her strength. She will be 
All right, so we're going to look at Matthew 17 here, right? Going through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. It's not a huge passage, but there's a couple of things that we can take from it uh, for sure. And uh, in your Bible, it probably says the temple tax, right? The temple tax. It says, uh, verse 24, After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax, right? You can see where these questions of uh, and the bolts that are coming from, that the Jews are So the collectors of the two drachma tax came to Peter and asked, Doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, he replied. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first one to speak. What do you think, son? he asked. From whom did the kings of the earth collect the in taxes? From their own sons or from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the sons are exempt, Jesus said to them. So they may not offend them, go to the lake and throw your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you'll find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. So, yeah, pretty interesting, right? The title of the message is Go Fish. Right? It's not the card game, but uh, Go Fish. Because in this passage we have like this mixture of like fishing and taxes and like money, you know, intermingling, intertwining. Um, it's the first passage we came up in a long time really talking about money. That like hasn't happened in a while. Isn't it weird how you hear like a lot of teachers or pastors, you know, on TV or other churches and it's just like, you know, money is a common thread, a common theme that comes up quite a bit a lot. But when you go through and actually study through the whole Bible, doesn't come up all that often. I mean, it's still there. It's something that matters. We work hard for it. We spend a lot of hours for it. And he wants us to know how to be responsible with it. But it's not prevalent. Maybe some people you know, make us think. Jesus spends a lot of time just being around people, talking about repentance, talking about faith, talking about purity of heart. So, we come up on this issue of fishing and taxes. And so I asked that question, like, do you like fishing? Uh, personally, I love it. Love it. You ain't lying. No. <laughs> fishing is awesome. And like this past year, and I ain't got a party anymore, um, past few years, haven't gotten that much. A few here and there, but man, growing up, love, love, love fishing. I can remember like nine years old, uh, living with uh, my grandmother at the time, down Waterford, she lives right on the Niantic River right over here. And I can remember, man, just coming home from school. I'm on the way home from school thinking about, okay, which lure am I going to use? How much bait do I have? Is the line on my rod and reel? Is it still good? Is it going to snap on me? Like, I'm thinking, this is fish time. School is over time to go fishing. So I run nine years old. And so I run down there and I'm cast and I just spend hours on fishing by myself. Fishing, loving it. Good question. Yes. That's a good question, right? Catching anything, right? Because, you know, some people are like, well, I'm fishing, you know, I like catching. Um, yeah, I was actually did with what's catching a lot. I've done a lot of fishing without the catching, too. Um, so I've learned a lot of stuff. It's a lot easier using live bait. You throw it out there and fish. That's familiar. You know, you bite it. Or you try and trick it, you know, to bite maybe like a piece of plastic or like a shiny piece of metal. It's not that easy sometimes. 
especially when they've probably seen it millions of times. So there's a certain method and technique that you know, matters upon you know, the temperature of the water, uh, where the clouds are at, the barometric pressure, all these different things. So it's not that easy to sort of get on the boat. But, um, oh man, I love fishing. I can, uh, the last really fun trip, I would say, um, I had, we were in the Cape Cod a few years ago. Uh, we happened to go saltwater. I like to go freshwater saltwater. We went out saltwater um, off Cape Cod. We went a charter boat. And so that means that um, there's a six or seven of us uh, paid some money to go out. And so it's not a boat full of 40 people. Six or seven months to a captain, first mate. This guy takes us out down to the hot spots and we go fishing for stripers and blues. We <laughs> got so much fish, it was awesome. So much fun. We were out there, we were able to uh, get the captain to radio another boat close by say, hey, can you get some lobsters for us? So he radios his captain, he's like, yeah, I'll try that. Radios uh, some other captains in the area, sure enough, the boat comes over. Two five pound fresh lobsters. Yeah. So we picked them up by five bucks a pound. I mean, literally, the transaction was there was a boat here, our boat, he just leans over with the lobsters, we give the money, and that was it. Doesn't get any pressure from that. <laughs> so it was awesome. Love fish. And then one of the, so I can take fish for a while. <laughs> one last one, because this one is embarrassing for me and probably funny for you. Um, fishing in a uh, little moon boat. Up north of Massachusetts, and I was a young guy at the time, 10, maybe 11. And uh, three of us in this, like, this little 15 foot aluminum boat. It's pretty tight, pretty tight. I was, uh, I want to say I was in the middle. You know, in the middle. Maybe in the front or in the middle. Either way, somebody was behind me. <laughs> what that means is that somebody sitting behind you, you're in a boat, like, you have to be careful of your casting. Because there's something cats, they go like this behind them and they throw. Maybe sometimes they can go off to the side of you and then you have to be careful because they want to whack them behind you. So you just, you know, when you cast them, you want to be aware of their surroundings and, you know, many people out And so uh, I was fairly well aware of my surroundings and who was behind me and who was on the side. So one particular cast, we were fishing for a while, and that's one. Uh, Went to throw it. Dang, you know, I'm stuck. I thought I was stuck on a tree or something because there was like some trees nearby. I'm like, I'm like, I'm stuck. And so I froze for a minute and looked and I'm like, that must be a tree. I'm like, oh. And I'm like, and so I gave it one more yank again and I hear behind me go, oh. And I got behind me. The hook is in his head. With the bar underneath. He goes, oh, I can't say the word in church. He goes, You get that thing, expletive, that thing on my head. I am not going with that expletive thing in the emergency room. in my head. It's not happening. I felt so bad. And uh, he was actually really gracious about it. And we were able to get it out. It took a while. <laughs> You know, we're all standing up trying to get this thing out of the head. <laughs> we're like laughing and stuff, you know, after the initial of our okay. And we finally got it, but I will never forget that moment. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, fishing. You know, fishing. My deer. I was his deer. Let's make it for living. He's a fisherman. And he wasn't necessarily like a full fisherman. Like, he had a big boat with his brother, Andrew. They were in the boat. That was the family business. We go fishing. And so these guys were like, um, 
deadliest catch type. They go out there, maybe not with the big pots, but big, huge nets. And they go out there and see the outreach, how long they were, and they just grab these huge nets and they bring up all the fish. That's how they uh, put fish. So, in this particular time, Peter had left the fishing business and followed Jesus. So, his people came up to him saying, Hey, uh, is your teacher paid a temple tax? Not like their, um, uh, you know, the Roman tax, but the temple tax, like where they came to worship. So if, like, you know, we were charging you tax, you know, before you came in here, you know, you paid that tax. And so Peter's kind of caught up like, uh, I don't remember him ever paying it, but he just says, yes, yeah, he pays it, absolutely. So Jesus over here, so then Peter comes in, he says, hey, you know, um, you know, who do the kings of the earth, right? Who do they collect taxes from? Do the kings of the earth, do they go to their own family members, their sons and daughters, and say, hey, hey, up, uh, wake up in the morning, pay me your tax. Mm-hmm. Like, stop sounding last night, that's $10. The rough night's sleep, they're going to that. Like, do they collect tax from family members, or do they collect tax from other people? Peter's like, uh, other people. So Jesus says, yeah, it's like, you know, I have created this entire world. I am God, you know, I'm on the side. We don't really have to pay this tax. He said, but we will, so we don't defend So I just want to take a couple of observations, look at two applications, we'll take communion, and then that will be it. Um, first observation here. First observation is a loaded question. Verse 24. Here's the question, right? Here's what the uh, tax collectors came to them and asked. So after Jesus and Stephens arrived in Catherine, the collectors of the two dropped tax came to Peter and asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? It's interesting that Matthew, Matthew was a tax collector. That was his job. And he was, this is the only gospel you'll find in it. Some stories you'll find in Mark, Luke, John, or maybe Justin Mark, or Justin Mark and Luke, or you know, Justin John. This particular one is Justin Matthew. You've got to figure he's a tax collector, he's paying attention. That's when you want to write it down. So here's the loaded question. Kind of catches Peter off guard. Does Jesus pay the temple? So again, that would be like if I, you know, we set up a tax thing right here and we said, come on in, because you have to pay this tax. And it's not your tithe or your offering, it's an extra tax just to show up there. And then you would actually give up your tithe and offering. That's like something different. So this temple tax is interesting. The way it was set up was that any male over 20 would have to pay like this uh, yearly tax to the temple. And it works out to be, in our uh, figures, $35 to $50 a year. So that's your temple tax. And you didn't have to pay it. But it was like, you were a good Christian if you did. So you didn't really not want to, you know, but, you know, if you were good, you know, Christ follower, God follower, you wanted to pay it. And so uh, Peter's kind of called the car, too. He's like, well, Jesus is like a good guy, a good God guy, but. I don't remember him really paying it, so he just sort of works out, you know, yes. And the question was intended to sort of trap him, to trap Peter. Because if he doesn't, Jesus does not pay a couple tax, so it's like, what kind of guy is he? But then if he does pay the temple tax, and they're going to collect it, they don't have any money. 
they don't have anything on them to pay right now. So like he stopped, and he just doesn't, he could reach in his pocket, there's nothing there, it's lint. So he stopped. The reason why they had tumble tops was just so they could like take care of it. Take care of the tumble And it says back in Exodus, if you care to read it later this week, I think it's Exodus 30. They would take that money and they would uh, make sort of the uh, um, the Ark of the Covenant. Um, anybody seen the end of the You've seen the Ark of the But uh, not exactly. But like it, it, was, uh, it was intricate. Made of really fine metal, silver, gold, and so somebody has to pay for all that. And uh, what they do is they pay tax and go to like building all that, that art and carrying poles and all these different things. But the tithes and offerings are different. So that's the loaded question. We have a second observation, a leading question. So we have a loaded question because we're trying to track so now here's a leading question from Jesus. We'll take a look. Verse 25. It says, When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon? From who to the king of the earth collect beauty and passion? From your own son and daughter, from your own sons, or from you? See, what Jesus wanted to do is he wanted to lead Peter's brain sort of past this trickery that he kind of got stuck in and get Peter to understand, hey, listen, this world, like, I'm not of it. In fact, I'm like the creator of it. It's really silly to try and get a tax from Jesus who actually made the person who's asking for the tax. It's silly to try and get a tax from Jesus or from God when he like made the trees and created the air that you have to breathe in just to live. I mean, it's silly. I don't have to pay these taxes. I am truly the Messiah. truly the Lord. And Peter's like, ah. He's like, yeah, maybe that's what I should have said. I should have said, well, he's the Messiah. I'm like, the Lord. He doesn't have to go. He couldn't want to. He doesn't have to. Peter wasn't really thinking that way at the time. He had that fall apart. I'm sure it happened like Peter caught up with the question. You know, he said something like, I don't want to say that. So I said, Jesus asked. And he said, Well, listen, what we can do is we could still pay just what we call So we had a loaded question, a leading question, and so our last observation. We get an unlikely response. It's pretty interesting here to see, see what happens. So read it one more time. Right at the end of verse 26. It says, Then the sons are exempted, paid uh, Jesus paid him. It says, verse 27, But so that we may not offend them, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them. For my tax and yours. This is a strange response. I'm sitting there thinking, like, you know, why do this whole fishing thing? Like, you're Jesus, it's like a weird thing, you know, why do this? He could just like, snap his fingers and have a tentacle punch to show. 
why go through the extra, go fishing, get a fish or a gold coin? Why bother? Strange. And I want you to uh, catch a couple of things. I want you to notice a couple of things about this response. Um, number one, this miracle is the only one that's recorded in a lot of different ways. It's the only miracle recorded that's actually going to help Jesus. Like, he actually made money appear to help himself and to help Peter. He never does that again and has never done that before. I don't know about you, but the past is probably <laughs> you can somebody show up a couple of times, right? And, you know, helps people out. So that's the only one where he actually got it from. It's the only one involving money. It's interesting. You read through the Gospels, you won't find any miracles where you just say, makes money show up. It's another thing that concerns me about a lot of these pastors and teachers that are like, you know, so and see what this is in the game, you can't really have this money. It's hard to say. Sometimes like he will, sometimes he won't. I wouldn't say that's our determining factor right there. And it's just a rule of law of thumb. As soon as you give like you're getting money, it's gonna your blessings has to be dollar signs. Now maybe sometimes, but not all times. And you certainly can't go tell a missionary or a Christian China, North Korea, and Thailand, who's barely making it. Family members are getting killed, maybe they're in prison, beaten. Oh, just so, you know, and they'll get your money. Doesn't really work like that. Doesn't always work like that. Another only, the only miracle involving one fish. Remember last time we did the five loaves and two fish chain and thousands? He actually did that twice. He did that one twice. He's the only one you're getting one fish. So that's true. And it's the only miracle in the way the fish was caught. Look at the way it was caught. Verse 27. says, go to the lake and throw out your line. And in some versions, uh, King James, New King James, other versions, take your hook, take your line. That's not what Peter does. He's not a hook and line guy. He's a net guy. And then Jesus is telling him, hey, like, go grab your fishing pole. It's probably the best time because he doesn't really do that. Go get a fishing pole with some line in the hook. That's strange. Why is he doing that? And it's the only miracle where the conclusion isn't recorded. Like, we don't know what happens. We assume that, like, it did happen in probably got their coin and they're able to pay you know, for both of them. But all the miracles, they always tell you like, what happens. What happened to the people, how it came about. Um, it kind of closed up. It gives closure. It doesn't happen here. So I want to address that one question that we talked about, though. Why go fish with a hook in the line to get the coin? Right? And I think that's a legitimate question to ask, and I think it's something we should ask. Because, again, Jesus could just snap his fingers, say a word, he could just show up. Well, I believe Jesus has to look at his hook in line because provision from Jesus is intended to meet a need and build our faith. Provision from Jesus is intended to meet a need. There's a need. You have some debt to get that covered. And it's two-part. He wanted to build faith. 
Sometimes God would ask us to do something we wouldn't ordinarily do. And He does that so we can help build our faith. Okay, this is important. In fact, it's so important in First Peter, we can put that up there. In First Peter, it says this. It says, these have come. And so this is in reference to like, difficulties, trials. It says, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, and result in praise for Jesus Christ is revealed. Look who wrote it. Right? Peter wrote it. He knows something about his faith being built up. He knows something about that. There's actually a lot of miracles that involve just Peter, where he was just around. Apparently, Jesus knew that Peter needed his faith to be built up. And we should definitely think that the situations and areas that we are in, God knows our faith is to be built up, and he knows how to build up. Jesus killed Peter's mother-in-law. One time they were all fishing, they caught nothing all night. Jesus said, go back out. They're not on the other side. And they're like, come on. We just fished all night. Because you said it, you boots, I'm going to go Right? And so they go out there, they throw off the net, it almost sinks the boat. Peter is the only one that walked on water. Peter was the guy in the garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus was praying, and he was just agonizing because he knew not to cross the right point. Only hours away. And it says that he was praying for like, drops of blood. He was just, I don't know how anxious you get. And how Pence stressed out. He was just at a really serious point. And then finally said, Okay, Lord, now my Lord, but yours be mine. So then the guards came. They're going to take him. And it says in one of the Gospels, when Jesus stood up and spoke, it actually caused them to kind of like step back. Something happened. And then Peter comes out with his little sword. You know, stop. You gotta say it. You gotta say it. You gotta say it. Say it. Yeah. So he goes, there you go. And he cuts the guy's ear off. He's like, no, 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 no. I understand you're like, you're looking out for him to protect him. But you're reading the situation wrong enough. It's not time. Jesus is good on timing. And I'm not about how you are on timing. I know I'm not so hot. But I mean, I have this kind of step of the Holy Spirit each and every day, every second. I'm pretty bad at timing, actually. I would think, rescue mission for Jesus, get my sword, get those ten swords, get these other guys, just take them out, do this. It was time. And Jesus, they got his beard. Stuck in their back of head. And then Peter, one time they were arrested for being in the temple, telling people about Jesus, healing people. He got in trouble for that. Went to jail. He's singing in the jail. Jail doors. The angel comes in the middle of the night. Jail doors just pop open. Peter's like, I don't know what this means. The angel went out. And then the three, they go back and like, um, it's the crazy part is that when Peter goes back to like 
the group, the squad, the church family, they're all praying. So he comes, he knocks at the door, the girl sees him, she's like, ah! Shuts the door, runs, tells her, peace, and so it's like, no, 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 no. Then he goes to the prayer, oh God, help him. God deliver him. God be with him. So I don't think that was a prayer of faith, They had true faith today. Boom! And we told him, and like, go downstairs and go get it. But they stayed faithful, they stayed kept praying, they stayed committed to what they should do. They only got three some up parallels. So then they get down, they open the door, you know, meanwhile, they're outside. They open the door, they can't believe it. Peter done around some faith building miracles. This is just another example of it. This was early on. Jesus wanted to meet his name, but he also wanted to build his the Bible describes our faith, what we think about God, as gold. More precious, greater worth than gold. Greater worth. I don't know how you see your faith. And I don't know how you see what you believe about God. But apparently somebody, the G-O-D, thinks it's pretty darn important. Really important. And he's probably willing to do whatever it takes to grow something that precious. And of course it's going to be hard for us to see in the middle of it, because it just looked like a difficulty, just another hard time. But it could be an opportunity for that need to be met, whatever it is, and for that faith to be met. So, two applications, and then we're going to close out the new community. So you can take away two things from this passage. Two applications we can take away. Number one, we want to live in a way that will not cause others to stumble. We want to live in a way that will not cause others to stumble. Meaning they would not um, stumble or have a difficult time, a more difficult time, accepting who God is and who Jesus is. Because Jesus submitted to paying the tax, not because he had to, but because he feared he might be a stumbling block. Like some people could say, ah, that's how I know he's bolted and he's not afraid. He doesn't pay his taxes. See, he just, you know, wants to be around, wants people like him. He'll pay his taxes, he'll do whatever it takes. There'll be other stuff they're not going to like him about. But at least do all the other things that he can. So this relates to that bonus question in the bulletin. So what about can you be a Christian? Drink, get a tattoo, go to bars, go to bars, right? Would that be a sin if you're a Christian doing this? Right? It's a good question. It's not that easy of an answer. What kind of this? The name of the game, right? So if you're a Christian, right, and you profess Christ as your Lord and Savior. Lord of your Lord. What that means is like the words in that song that we sang, I surrender all to you. That means if you're a Christian at some point in your life, you have said to God, I surrender all to you. I might want something back at times. 
But I know that it's right. And I know that I need to. And so I accept Jesus and what he did on the cross. I surrender to him. Now, should God, the Holy Spirit that now comes and lives in your heart, because that's what happens when you commit to God, you say, Jesus, I need you to surrender all to you, come in and take over my life. I'm not going to be perfect, but I know that I need you. I just know that I know that I need you. Come on. Now when the Holy Spirit comes in, that's what the Bible says. If the Holy Spirit now comes in, and he takes residence and he lives inside the weaver. Sometimes there's a huge, amazing story behind it that's very dramatic, it's very goosebumpy, and just like it's amazing. Brothers like, I didn't feel too much. I mean that person didn't feel like that. But I knew that he came into residence because just things started to change. People started to go. Certain issues needed to be left alone. They weren't necessarily bad enough themselves, but they were bad for me because God showed me that. Couldn't listen to that music anymore. Couldn't hang out with that group of friends anymore. Couldn't spend my money in that place anymore. <coughs> Wasn't good for me. The Holy Spirit showed me. So, when that happens, should the Holy Spirit say, Hey, Jerry, let's hit that bar down time. I got some people we got to talk to. It might be silly for me to come back to God. God, I don't go to Mars. I don't do that. Right? I think I should go. But if I just want to go there and spend the bulk of my time and be involved in conversations and situations, that's not going to help grow that surrender that I offered. It's probably not a good place to be. It's probably not a wise place. That being said, Julie and I go out and say we go out to eat, you know, tonight. We're not, I don't know, we're not. If we were to go out to eat tonight, you know, and order some drinks, you know, with our meal, would we be sinning by doing that? We're free to have some alcohol. We could do that. And the Bible doesn't necessarily look me upon that. It says wine is a mocker, beer is a wall. You want to instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. So it says, Proverbs and Ephesians. So I say, yeah, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, not with other spirits. So we could, but at the same time, Julian and I are there having dinner. You know, somebody comes in, maybe somebody that I know, maybe somebody I don't know. But maybe they know who I am. And maybe they know I'm a pastor. And maybe they know I'm a Christian. Oh, well, look, they can drink. You know, it must be okay for me. I have no idea what's going on with their life. And what we're all the hard work. You know what? I don't even want to go there. I don't want to go there. For me personally, I don't want it to be maybe even a, a chance or a hint of a stumbling block for somebody else. I don't want to play that game. So I was just, you know, I'm not. So does that mean, you know, I would change, you know, what I would, you know, get in order to do in certain situations around other people? Yes. That's what I'm saying. It would change. Because I don't want it to be a stumbling block. There'll be other things that might be a stumbling block for You know? Um, I take Jesus' words where he says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. 
And no one comes to the Father except me. That's going to be a stumbling block for some people. But I want that one to be there because that's what God said. Could someone go home and not, you know, have alcohol in the home? And it doesn't say it's a sin to do that. Well, you just want to be careful. You just want to be careful with these things. Most times, we just want to run away from the line. Well, we should want to run away from the line first we Instead of trying to get right up to it, and like, how am I going to do this before it's a sin? I want to get ahead of the direction. How holy can I get? How set apart can I get for how much can I let the Holy Spirit invade my life and just take it? That's what we want to do. Oh, and then the tattoo, right? So we can't miss out on that, right? So can we get like tattoos and miss out on that? I know plenty of Christians that have tattoos. Do I think that they sinned in the process? I know a tattoo in and of itself. That's not a sin that's said about me. But I'm hoping that there are some of the parts in the Bible that say that once you become a Christian, your body does not belong to yourself. Like I don't own my body. It's a realization that my body has to be used as instruments of righteousness. That's what it says in Romans and 1 Corinthians. When I come to God, we want to use this sin as instruments of righteousness. And it says that we actually worship God with how much you So I'm just hoping that those people, and you know, Christians that I know that, hopefully at least they confer to God and be like, God, this is your body. I think about putting stuff on there. You know, is that okay? Are you cool with that? Is that all right? I think that's a good way to go about it. Some have, maybe some have not. And if some people haven't, it's worth all the time in the world to say, God, I should ask, I'm the right Can you please forgive me? I'm going to try and do better. I think that's a good Realize, man, this thing is from God. It's not mine. Because I have to do that same thing, you know, with my wife, you know, and in my marriage. Like, you know, my body and, you know, how I treat myself. That's like, like for guys and porn and, like, you know, doing all this stuff. It's bad news. I start planting the seed that, like, this body belongs to me. I can do whatever I want. Especially when my wife is in the future. Same deal. Same deal. It doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to me. So I gotta get along with other people. Like, man, you you with me on this, right? And this is what God said. Help me out. Help me through this. Not everybody else is thinking this. We can go outside right now. Here on downtown, most people just do what you want. What makes you happy? It's not breakfast, it doesn't hurt anybody's good. I think if you read through the Bible, you can find something. So that's application one. Try to do whatever you can, just not cause people to stop. Because other people need to have wrong. And then question number two, or application number two. Jesus is able to meet any need, regardless of what we see. He's able to meet any need, regardless of what we see. He met their need in this corner. Right? They have it. They like, literally had nothing like, in their pocket. Just nothing. Jesus was like a no retirement plan, guys, just you know, nothing. And he said, Listen, if you follow me, you're not going to place the rest of your heads. Nothing. You've got nothing. So does that mean like the Christians get stuff? That that's a sin? 
کشیزی کردن دن زالسین نه. All those things are not in the way of the surrender. So Jesus never be anything regardless of what we see. Here's the problem. Here's like the catch with that. Here's the difficulty: is that Jesus determines what the need, what need is actually need. Because I might think some things are needs, but then when I want to go before Him, I just really wanted it. It was really bad, but it wasn't need. That's why sometimes with our prayers, it's like, okay, yes, you know, to work through it. Sometimes I can just make it right down, you know, and know, and then maybe sometimes I, can, I just can't pray. Just got to keep praying my way through it. But it is indeed, the amazing news is, even though I can't even see it, I physically do not see it happening. I don't even see how it's possible. Thank you. 